Well, it's great to be beginning our new series in Jonah together, uh, the mystery of God's mercy. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as you speak to us today through Jonah, we ask that you would incline our hearts to you, open our minds to your word, unite our will with yours, and satisfy our souls as only you can. Amen. On the 1st of February this year, an allegedly drunk driver ran up a gutter and killed four children. Happened in North Parramatta on Bettington Street. Parents of three of those children who were killed, uh, named Danny and Layla Abdullah, they are Maronite Christians. And they made a public statement, it's it's fairly lengthy, you can read it online. Um, I'm just going to read out a short section of it. This is what they said. We forgive the driver that killed our innocent children. His actions will be met before the earthly and heavenly judge. We have decided in our hearts to forgive him for the sake of our children and more so for Christ's sake. Many people are asking, how? How on earth can you forgive someone for doing that? Our world, and as Christians, many of us can struggle to understand or even grasp the depth of the mystery of God's mercy, which they have just shown a glimpse of. See, Jonah... The book of Jonah, it's not just a Sunday school story. In fact, as I've been preparing for this series, what has really struck me about this book is it's probably one of the most challenging books in the whole Bible. Because it holds a mirror. A mirror up to our very souls as we look to Jonah. You see, when God's mercy is a mystery to us, then it's not shared with others. We won't share it. And so that's why today we see Jonah running from God. Now, before we dive into the book, there's two questions that I think we need to answer. Well, firstly, who is Jonah? Uh, We have a little bit of a description about him in that verse, verse, but... Jonah, to us, is is more famous for being fish bait than anything else. Uh, But for Israelites back in that day, Jonah was actually quite famous for his role in in the life of Israel itself. And we read about him in 2 2 Kings, chapter 14. And in chapter 14, it's it's recounting the, the, the king at the time, who was Jeroboam II. And it's talking about how through him great victories were won. I'm just going to read from verse 25 where it says, Jeroboam II was the one who restored the boundaries of Israel from Labo Hamath to the Dead Sea in accordance with the word of the Lord, the God of Israel, spoken through his servant Jonah, the son of Amittai, the prophet from Gath-Hefer. Now Jeroboam II is an evil king. Uh, He's described as he followed in the evil sins of his father, which is never a good thing in two kings. 
And what's remarkable is that God still uses him. God, as we hear after verse 25, he hears the cries of his people as their enemies all around have been croaching in and stealing land and stealing their people. And so through Jonah, God declares his word that he is going to give victory and defeat over these enemies. And so they do. And so their borders are increased again. I wouldn't be surprised if Jonah is something of a hero uh, to the Israelite people at this time. He has been the instrument of God's judgment on his enemies. And so the Jonah that we meet, key to our understanding of him, is that he is uh, this proud Israelite. He has been a part of God establishing his borders and pushing out those outsiders, those Gentiles, those enemies. And when it comes to enemies, there doesn't come much greater than Assyria and its capital, Nineveh, at the time. Oh, the hatred Jonah would have had for them. Uh, Historians have recorded for us the Assyrians' brutality in all of their military campaigns. Things like uh, when, when they defeated other soldiers, they would cut off both their legs and one arm so that they could mockingly shake their hand in victory. Or uh, when they come to parade time, they would make family members carry the decapitated heads of the fallen soldiers up the streets. The Assyrians were violent. And this didn't kind of get lost on God either. The whole book of Nahum is actually, chapters 2 and 3 are God's word of judgment coming on Nineveh. If you turn to chapter 1 verse 3, uh, I'm just going to read it out. Um, It says there just at the beginning, Woe to the city of blood, full of lies, full of plunder, never without victims. And it just gets worse from there. They are as far as the Israelites are concerned in Jonah, they are a terrible people. They, the last thing they deserve is mercy. And so it's no wonder that when Jonah is called to go there, that he has a certain reaction. In fact, by the time we get to chapter 4 and he's eventually got there, proclaimed the word, and God has relented, Jonah tells us exactly how he feels about God's mercy to them. Chapter 4, verse 2. Yes, this is a spoiler, but you would have got there anyway. Um, Jonah says to God, That is why I was so quick to flee to Tarshish. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding love, a God who relents from sending calamity. He really does a good job of making that sound bad, doesn't he? Because that's his heart. How on earth? Could God do this to them? That's who Jonah is. The second question we need to ask is, well, who is this letter written to? Who's it for? Why was it written? Now, it it can't be for Jonah. He lives the experience, right? In fact, what we actually find out that this is unique in all of the books about prophets in the Bible. Because unlike all the other books that speak about the prophet's message, Jonah is all about the prophet. His message consists of six words in chapter 3. The whole book is about him. So who is supposed to read this? Why does God want his people to know this message? Well, 
primarily at the time, it was for Israel. Because they had exactly the same attitudes and the same actions towards God, his word and his mercy as Jonah. And so God is telling them the story of Jonah so that they will have that mirror before them. God is doing the same for us. In fact, God is challenging us as we work through this book. How are you like Jonah? Not if, how are you like Jonah? There's going to be some uncomfortable truths as we open up this book for all of us, but also we get to uncover the deeper, uh, deepest mysteries of God's mercy. So it's a great thing. So let's dive in and immediately we meet Jonah running from God. That's what chapter one is all about. God says to him, go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. Jonah gets in a boat and goes in the exact opposite direction. Now, you might be thinking, hang on, isn't this exactly the message he wanted to hear? Judgment is coming. But Jonah gets it. Why would you warn if there wasn't a possibility of mercy? You don't need a warning if the judgment is coming. No, no, he knows instinctively. Mercy is on the table. So he gets in that boat as quick as he can to go as far away as he possibly can. You see, he's not afraid. Yes, the Ninevites would have been a scary group of people to turn up to and go, God's judgment's coming. No doubt. However, that's not the reason why he runs. It's because he's certain of God's mercy, as we read about in chapter 4. And he doesn't want to be any part of it. In fact, he's going to try and stop it, if he possibly can, for his part. As far as he's concerned, God should only be merciful to Israel. He's he's like uh, the child, the firstborn child in a family, a little one, and then there's the possibility of that second child coming in and they don't want him to be around because they don't, don't want to share, they don't think there's enough love to go around. He's that on a grand scale. But the Lord is not going to give up on Jonah easily. And in a way, again, this is how we start to see this mystery of God's mercy. Why not just let him go or make it, the boat sink? No, God sends a raging storm. Even sailors are freaking out. They're throwing their prophets overboard. They're not on a cruise. The only reason to do this is for the prophet at the end. But they are so afraid it's come down to profit or life, there it's overboard. And then they're crying out to their gods, their various different gods who seem to have turned on them. And Jonah is asleep. He's just out, gone. They don't care in the world. And then even after the captain wakes him up, saying in verse 6, how can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. We've got to cover the bases here, mate. Maybe he will take notice of us and we will not perish. But Jonah still won't pray. That does nothing. But God doesn't need Jonah to do anything. 
he uses the sailors to point the finger at Jonah with the casting of lots. And so the sailors are then coming to Jonah going, all these different questions. Who's responsible in in terms of who is the power behind all this? And, And who are you that that power cares? What have you done? Let's have a look at Jonah's response here. Go to verse 9. It's really quite telling. Firstly, he reverses the order of the questions. I think that's a real hint at what he thinks is valuable. Verse 9. He answered, I am a Hebrew and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the land. Now, if you're a sailor on this ship, I'm, I'm guessing at this point in time you're both horrified and confused. You wanted to run away from this God who made the sea and you got on a boat? Seriously? But let's have a look at Jonah's claims. He claims to know the Lord. If you're looking there at your passage, you'll actually see the Lord is in, there in full capitals. That's to mean the personal name of God that he gave to his people. And here Jonah saying, no, 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 I know the Lord. We're on first name basis and I worship him. Or that word for worship is the same as the word fear. But he ran away. He rebelled against a clear word from God that's kind of his job. He's a prophet. That's what he's supposed to do. And so what is Jonah's solution? when it is life or death in this moment, what does he decide to do? Well, he tells the sailors, throw me overboard. Now, I still don't understand why he didn't just jump. I don't know why he makes them do it. We can chat about that later. However, there's some really interesting things to notice here. Firstly, finally, Jonah seems to care about somebody else but himself. He hasn't at all up until this point, but at the, lo- the lives of the sailors, he's willing to say, okay, look, I'll, I'll, I won't risk your life. <clears throat> but really, what is his solution to this situation? It's to keep running. In fact, he would rather die than do what God is asking him to do. At any moment, As masts cracked and waves woe over the side, he could have fallen to his knees and said, God, I am sorry. I will go to Nineveh. You are right. I was wrong. Let's do it. And the sailors probably would have taken him. He doesn't. Throw me in. I will do whatever I can to, in a sense, force God's hand to do something else, even use somewhere else, someone else, sorry. He won't repent. You see, in Jonah's running from God, we see sort of these these kind of marks of what it looks like to run from God. Firstly, it's disobeying God's word. God's word that we have in the Bible. It's creating distance from yourself, from God or from his people who might also say God's word to you or hold you accountable. Distance from the people God wants to send you to, whatever it is. And then finally, digging in when challenged by God or others. Won't pray, won't repent, don't do anything. And there's that refusal to repent no matter what. They're the marks of running from God. 
And then in stark contrast, we see the sailors. Now, often we, our spotlight is so on Jonah, but actually God and the sailors, uh, a very bright light is deserving of them. And so we see the sailors running to God. Uh, this is part of the wonderful mystery of God's mercy, that the very same storm that he is working in Jonah, he can now use for the sailors. Jonah showed so little interest or concern in these Gentile sailors. <clears throat> Couldn't care about Nineveh, barely cares about these guys, but God does. And so as we meet them, they're terrified. And they're crying out to their various gods, gods who clearly cannot be of any help to them. And then the target falls on Jonah. And they find out that he's running away. And what's their response? Do they immediately throw him in the water? I mean, come on, why not? Quick fix. No, they actually get on the row, the rows, and try to row all the harder. They care more about Jonah than Jonah did about them. And he is one of God's own people. And so when it comes to it, there really seems like there's no choice. Verse 14, have a look at it. Then they cried to the Lord, O Lord, please do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man for you, O Lord, have done as you pleased. Finally, someone is willing to cry out to the Lord. Jonah still isn't talking. And they are crying out and they are using God's name. As they beg for mercy from the God who they can clearly see is in control, who is the powerful judge, please show mercy to us. Well, it seems that as soon as Jonah hits the water, it goes calm. The storm is done. And so when they're safe, do they turn back to their old ways and get on with life? No. Look at verse 16. At this, the men greatly feared the Lord. Fear, worship, that awe of God. They rightly get who he truly is. And they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. These are the marks of true repentance. They worship the Lord. They recognize their need for mercy from him and they commit themselves to him. God has converted these Gentile sailors in the midst of dealing with Jonah. Jonah who he didn't even need. Here they are saved and here the Israelites are seeing the heart of God, the God who promised Abraham that through his descendants, the Israelites, the whole world would be blessed. But Israel, like Jonah, has no care, no interest in blessing the world. But God clearly does. So the question for each of us today is this. Are you running from God or are you running to God? And for Christians... Just like Jonah and God's people. This is, not, this is not a question for those who are non-believers. This is a believer question. And there really is only these two choices. Either you're running from or you're running to God. 
You might be running from God because he isn't the God you want him to be. You still call yourself a Christian, just like Jonah would have? I am a Hebrew. But when we value certain things more than we value God and obeying and trusting in him, well, there we have an idol, and there we are running from God. There's so many ways that we can do this. And not all as obvious as getting on a boat and running away, right? But we can still be running from God. And we've got the marks, we've seen them. It's disobeying God's word. Things like uh, sex outside of marriage that can lead to, when we disobey that word, it can lead to anything from pornography to adultery and and all sorts of things. Or, Or maybe it's to do with God's word on money, that we're not to love money, but instead we're to be generous and invest in the kingdom, but instead we will only keep it for ourselves. And so when we're willing to disobey God's word in those sorts of ways, we then distance ourselves. Whether that be from other Christians who might see the way that you're living, or you hide it away, or you don't pray to God. And when God sends that storm to try and wake you up, you dig in. And you refuse to listen to other Christians who are talking to you about these things. Maybe even today. <laughs> And then there's an absolute refusal to repent. Maybe you're running from God. And it may not even be that obvious. Maybe it's just something in your heart. Something that you're disappointed with God or someone else about. Or you've been hurt and you won't let it go. And so you run from God's word as he calls you to love and to forgive in the way that you treat other people. One area that we know clearly God is speaking to his people Israel and to us is to be on the mission of blessing the world. God sent Jonah. Jesus sent his disciples to go into the world and make (laughs) disciples, followers of Jesus. And we too can run from God in this way when we have no thought or mind for the lost and we certainly don't have any love for the lost that are all around us and filling our lives. Because you see, when God's mercy is a mystery to us, then like Jonah, we won't share it with others. But you know what? What's so great is that God had mercy on Jonah when he sent the storm to win him back, when he sent the great fish to swallow him up instead of just drowning. God has mercy on his people even when we run from him. I encourage you, throw yourself on his mercy. Maybe today, though, you're running to God. You're running to God because you've experienced his mercy most clearly in his death on the cross for you and taking the punishment that you deserve. That's what mercy means. Mercy is different to grace. Grace is you get what you didn't deserve. Mercy is when you don't get what you do deserve. You don't get the punishment that you deserve because it's taken by Jesus. But it's not just that one day. It's an every day. His mercies are new every morning and you, you know that. You hold on to that. 
when we live out what Paul writes in Romans. He says, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, knowing this, offer your bodies as living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. See, the deeper we grasp daily the mercy of God, the more we want to give it to others, to those who are lost to God, but also to those who have been found, that we will love them. We will offer forgiveness. We will be generous. And ultimately, to those who are lost, we will share Jesus that they may know the same mercy that we have come to know. And as we run to God, we'll be praying. We'll be praying that he will open a door for the message of Jesus in the lives of the people God has put into our heart and that we will be ready when that door is open to walk through it and share Jesus. Running to God means taking hold of this opportunity with this mission of Jesus is and thinking through what is my next step in sharing Jesus with certain people and praying about them and taking it. Because when God's mercy is a mystery to us, it's not shared with others. Instead, we're running from God. But God is calling each one of us today to run to him. I'm going to give us 30 seconds now just to reflect on answering that question. Are you running from God or are you running to God? And then I'm going to lead us in prayer. Lord, we ask that you would be at work in our hearts and minds today by your spirit. Convict us if we are running from you in disobedience, creating distance and digging in so that we will repent, we will turn back to you. Lord Jesus, help us to grasp more deeply your mercy so that we will share it with those you have put in our lives. In Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to sing our final song.